Hi, and welcome to your Owen podcast, Quick and Handy Tips for Veterinarians on the Go. I'm Dr. Melanie Barham, Owen Coordinator. Welcome to a very special Swine Ontario Animal Health Network podcast series on influenza. We'll be joined by many guests offering expertise from around Canada and the U.S. Dr. Krista Arsenault, lead veterinarian from the Animal Health and Welfare Branch at the Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, um, as well as ex-swine veterinarian and Owen Swine Network co-lead, will be my uh, co-interviewer for these guests. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or on our website, www.owen.ca, to access the scholarly articles and links featured on the podcast. Welcome. So joining us today for this podcast is uh, Dr. Marie Culhane, uh, also known to some of our listeners uh, under the name Dr. Marie Grammer, and Dr. Susan Detmer as well. Uh, Today, this podcast is going to be focused on... um, the North American perspective regarding influenza A. Uh, so I'd like to thank both of them for taking time to join us today on behalf of the Owen Swine Network. Dr. Colhane, uh, could you please review your background and experience as it pertains to influenza? Certainly. Um, I'm a veterinarian from Minnesota. I graduated from the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. And then I was with a swine genetics company um, for two or three years and returned to the University of Minnesota for a pathology residency and a PhD. My PhD work was on influenza virus and I completed that PhD just prior to the 2009 pandemic and I've been very involved with influenza in swine um, and because of the pandemic a little bit of public health and um, been collaborating um, globally on influenza surveillance and in swine um, for over half my career now, so it's a topic I find fascinating, and I really enjoy um, working with producers, veterinarians, and vaccine companies and public health officials to try to figure out how we can reduce influenza burden in pigs. Great, and I, I'm sure most of our listeners will uh, know the research that you've done over the years regarding influenza, Dr. Colhane. Susan, could you please review your background and experience as it pertains to influenza? Yeah. Okay, so I was trained at the University of Minnesota for or my DVM, and then I practiced in mixed animal practice for three years, and then I started my PhD and residency program in pathology at the University of Minnesota. And uh, I actually trained under Dr. Culhane and uh, on influenza in pigs, and so my with influenza has been with uh, vaccines, transmission studies, um, as well as diagnostic work, looking at influenza, sequencing, and doing uh, molecular epidemiology to uh, look at the trends of influenza on farms and between farms. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to ask Dr. Colhane, uh, what is being done for influenza surveillance and diagnostics throughout the United States? All right. In the United States, um, there are a number of veterinary diagnostic laboratories and private diagnostic laboratories that offer influenza PCR testing, virus isolation, and sequencing. So we have um, data coming from different laboratory sources. There's also, since 2010, a federal initiative, the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA Voluntary Influenza Surveillance Program in Swine is available. And through that program, uh, swine veterinarians and, and pig producers are able to submit samples 
um, to laboratories and that influenza testing, virus isolation, and characterization is done at no charge. The information that comes out of that system then is put into um, uh, the public domain with the virus isolates being identified as to the state where the pigs reside. And so there's um, some privacy can be protected there. Um, and um, that's been a real uh, boon to our influenza surveillance. And so since 2009, that year of the pandemic, and then with the implementation of the surveillance system in 2010, um, the United States has, has deposited hundreds and thousands of influenza sequences into the public domain uh, for people to analyze and characterize and, and update vaccine strains and reagents because of that. So that's been a really nice um, thing that people can do. Uh, the PCR test has been routine and in place since probably 2006 or 2007, very sensitive, very specific, um, maybe too sensitive, you know, picks up non-viable virus. And so just because you have influenza PCR positive, um, you can't say that that sample was infectious and other pigs are going to get infected or things like that. Um, but we do have that great PCR test, and that PCR test works on nasal swabs, lung, lung tissue, lung fluid, um, oral fluids, environmental samples, and, and things like that. So. Um, if a pig had contact with it, we could most likely do an influenza test on it. So that's been really good to get that diagnosis um, done. Very interesting. Thanks for that update, Emery. What is being done for influenza surveillance and diagnostics throughout North America? And I guess this question will be aimed at uh, Marie as well. So throughout North America, um, a lot of the um, American laboratories and the vaccine companies then uh, promote and uh, encourage sample submission um, from Mexico and Canada and the United States um, just to get kind of a North American perspective because certainly there's a lot of pigs that go um, across borders um, each day or each month. And so it's important to know um, what we have as, as a, a continent. Um, there's also a global influenza surveillance initiative. There's an OIE, the um, World Animal Health Organization, and the FIO, FAO joint um, network. It's called the OFLU network that promotes global influenza surveillance and data sharing. And so there are um, North American and um, South American um, and Latin American and um, people at the table contributing data to that. Um, influenza network. Um, I would say that uh, in all of North America, PCR is readily available. Uh, virus isolation, um, not so much. It can be in tricky to isolate influenza viruses, and so then people can share materials for virus isolation. Um, people can share materials for, for later sequencing, and then, um, and then that data goes back and forth um, electronically. Here's the sequence, here's the results, and so there is uh, quite a bit of information and probably more than any other continents on uh, influenza and pigs in North America. And Susan and I have been very fortunate um, to have worked together in the past and continue to work together in the future and to combine our efforts in swine with um, human influenza various researchers at the National Institutes of Health and the Centers for Disease Control in the United States. So that's been uh, really allows us to look at our influenza data and pigs at a, at a much 
higher level than we could with our pig resources, tapping into those human resources. So that's been great, too. And I'm going to ask uh, both Marie and Susan this question. Could you summarize the top three reasons of why it's important to gain knowledge of influenza surveillance and diagnostics, including genotyping, that is occurring throughout North America? And maybe we'll start with you first, Susan. Well, one of the issues that I face, because I work closely with swine veterinarians on issues of influenza on farms as well as producers, I tend to look at or need to know what the specific type of virus is present on the farm and to have the genetic information of what's circulating and to know what's circulating in the surrounding farms is really useful because then we can actually, we know what's worked on those farms, what hasn't worked on those farms, and what might work on the farm that is experiencing a problem right then. Um, also, we might know where the virus came from um, because of the genetic similarity and other epidemiological links. So for me, as a researcher, um, getting more information to understand the epidemiology of the virus and how it's moving from one farm to another, whether people are involved in those movements because people can actually carry um, influenza viruses and not even know it, um, as well as pigs when they're being moved, they may or may not have clinical signs. And the biggest problem we've actually had is then with the pandemic virus because it jumps back and forth between pigs and people. And people are so mobile and they have children at home, they have, you know, uh, social events where they can pick up viruses and bring it back onto a farm. So those have actually been one of the biggest issues that we've been dealing with the last few years. But um, one of the newer issues has actually been uh, just these newer strains have different antigenic properties. So the vaccines that we've been using that are producing antibodies in the pigs are not cross-reacting with some of the new viruses and some of them are not even working the way they're predicted to work. So we've actually been looking into how we can make our vaccines more efficacious and whether or not uh, we need more regional vaccines for the viruses that we have circulating in our region compared to other parts of Canada and the United States. But those are the biggest issues that we're dealing with. Great. Thanks for that response, uh, Dr. Detmer. Marie, I'm going to ask you the exact same question. Could you summarize the top three reasons of why it's important to gain knowledge of influenza surveillance and diagnostics, including genotyping, that is occurring throughout North America? Sure. I think the main reason to do it, and I might not come up with three, I might just have this one big one, is really to determine what influenza virus are you dealing with at that time. And what we found through our research at the University of Minnesota, uh, specifically by Dr. Andres Diaz, um, is that pigs are harboring or infected with more than one influenza strain at any given time. So he was able to sequence viruses directly from the nasal swabs of the pigs and found um, one to three to sometimes four influenza viruses co-circulating in the same time in that individual pig, and then you multiply that by the number of pigs in a, in a 
barn, you can imagine the possible influenza virus combinations that are there. Fortunately, um, during an outbreak, one virus seems to dominate. One virus is the one causing the big problems. And so we target a lot of our efforts at that. And um, some people might have success making a vaccine or using a vaccine that's good against that particular strain. But then when they start to see influenza problems again, you can say, well, is it a problem with the vaccine? Is it not being delivered properly? Um, is there, um, did we miss the timing? Um, was it not adjuvanted correctly? Um, or is it a problem that there's another strain circulating in the pigs? And so that's why figuring out what type of influenza you have is, is very important. Um, it's difficult to say this influenza virus came from those pigs over there, or I bought these pigs and they came with influenza virus, or this came from my neighbor's farm. Um, but we can get some general ideas as to origin, which would be the second reason you'd want to figure out what type of influenza virus you had is, is where did it come from? Um, so but influenza viruses, um, unfortunately for pigs, um, they're susceptible to all different types of influenza viruses, human, pig, um, and avian influenza viruses. And so when we have a disease problem in a pig farm, we can say, well, what type of influenza virus caused that and where did it come from? Did it come from the workers, from the humans that are associated with those pigs? Did it come from the nearby turkeys, perhaps? Um, or is it another pig virus that's in the area or in the guilt source that stocked that farm, et cetera? Um, so you can do a little bit about origin and say, okay, all humans need to be vaccinated because our pigs are picking up human influenza viruses, or all humans need to wash their hands, um, you know, when working with the pigs. So we, we decrease that spread of, of hand to pig transmission of, of human influenza viruses, or we need to communicate with our poultry producing neighbors to say, let us know when you're spreading litter in the fields um, so we can be prepared if there's an influenza virus outbreak, you know, have aspirin on hand, um, maybe be prepared to do some diagnostics to identify a, a new virus in our pigs. And so there's the second reason would be to determine the origin, which is kind of related to the first region there. And the, the third reason um, really came important in the pandemic is that, um, you know, the, the 2009 pandemic um, was big. You know, the, we were of a modern medical system, so we didn't have as many um, human deaths or illnesses as previous pandemics, but there was there was um, thousands, and so that is something you always want to prevent. And when the, the human, the pandemic of 2009 happened, they said, well, it looks like a swine virus. Hey, there's not a lot of swine influenza virus information out there. So it's hard to prove a negative, right? And so you, we couldn't say, hey, this didn't come from our pigs, you know, directly from pig to human. We, we didn't have enough data to, to prove that or disprove that or or whatever, and so the more information we have, um, the better pre prepared we are to deal with um, future pandemics or future uh, interspecies transmission events just to provide all the information and say, hey, here's what's going on in the pigs. It does or does not look like what's going on in turkeys or what's going on in humans, um, for example. So just having that background information so things can can change. Oh, and I just thought of a fourth one. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so the other thing is um, Susan and I have been very fortunate to work with, like I said, with these human influenza virus researchers. 
then they're able to look at the viruses in different ways. And one of the things they're able to do is say, hey, what type of antiviral drugs would work against this type of virus? So in humans, when they get influenza virus, sometimes they go on antiviral medication to kind of decrease the replication of the virus so it doesn't spread um, from human to human or the, the person feels um, better uh, more rapidly. And so we're able then um, to share this genetic information of our swine viruses um, with the human influenza community, and they can say, hey, you know what, these swine viruses, they, they are changing or they aren't changing, or they are all susceptible to the available antiviral drugs we have, so that's a good thing. And so it helps people um, understand the risk or lack thereof of swine influenza viruses to human or if the swine viruses are starting to change, and they say, okay, well, let's update our, our antivirals, let's update our vaccine um, stockpile, et cetera. And so it's kind of that um, greater good or human health uh, collaboration would be the other reason to do a lot of sequencing as well. Um, but I guess for, for, for pig producers and pig veterinarians is, what type of influenza virus is in these pigs, and is there an available vaccine or tool that I can use um, to decrease the losses associated with this influenza virus? That, that would be the number one reason. All very important points. Thank you. Uh, the next question will be for uh, Marie. Could you highlight a few main research projects along with their associated researchers and what they are trying to address with regards to influenza? Sure. Um, I think one of the more active and practical on-farm uh, researchers, uh, besides Dr. Detmer up there in Canada, is uh, Dr. Montserrat Tomarell here at the University of Minnesota. Uh, for years, she worked on PERS eradication, something very important, and she still works on that. Uh, currently, she's working on um, influenza control and prevention. Um, she's recognized that um, we need to know a lot about influenza virus before we start saying, okay, this control strategy works or this control strategy doesn't work. So what she's doing is a lot of on-farm um, research projects. Um, one of her grad students, Dr. Matt Allerson, um, worked on a project that involved 50 sow farms throughout the United States. Her second, you know, there, another grad student, um, Dr. Andres Diaz, then took five of those cell farms and did that deep sequencing, that detailed information on influenza viruses. Um, I think one of the um, most important things that Dr. Tormorell found through her work is that it is the incoming gilts, or what we call the new gilts, and their piglets that are the continual sources for influenza viruses on cell farms. And so if people are looking for a population to control influenza viruses in, it is the incoming gilts and their piglets. Um, and then it's piglets in general because of cross-fostering and things like that. So once we narrowed it down to who has influenza virus in a cell farm, now it is what can we do to characterize or control that influenza virus in that subpopulation. So her um, next year's research will then focus on um, what if influenza virus is in the piglets and it's brought into the farm by the incoming gilts, then what happens in the farrowing room that piglets are spreading influenza virus to each other or sending it downstream into the nursery? 
and things like that. So that's a new area of research she's working on now. Um, one of my other colleagues, uh, Dr. Amy Vincent at the United States Department of Agriculture Animal Research Service, or USDA ARS, what she's doing is taking the global influenza virus data and trying to have some uniformity or harmonization between the influenza surveillance plans and the influenza virus characterization. So then when we're talking about influenza in pigs in Iowa or Minnesota or Manitoba or Alberta, when we're speaking to our colleagues in France and Belgium and Germany, we're talking um, the same language, the same origin of influenza viruses, how we characterize them, um, because we need to have that unified animal agriculture, animal health and surveillance front to, to prevent to the human influenza front. Um, human influenza surveillance is, is well coordinated globally and um, they're able to share isolates and compare strains very easily. They have the, the same um, scientific language. We're trying to apply that to uh, the pig's language. Um, Dr. Detmer and Dr. Uh, Nicola Lewis um, then are taking um, kind of that global influenza virus approach and saying, you know what, we've found different changes in our influenza viruses in Canada. Um, what does that really mean? Um, are how different are they? And so that, how different are they, um, we try to determine that by something called antigenic cartography. So antigens are the things that pigs respond to. This pig sees an antigen and he makes an antibody to that and then hopefully, hopefully neutralizes that antigen. Um, what we'd like to do is, is um, automate, uh, make that antigenic characterization um, more fluid and more rapid and more easily done. So we can make predictions um, from the laboratory, from our computers on what changes are important in influenza viruses and what influenza viruses need to go into to new vaccines. So that's, that's um, a little bit more on the laboratory and research side. So I've, hopefully I've captured um, some of the important um, on-farm research that's going on and then some of the uh, laboratory um, bench research that's going on. That was um, a great summary. Thank you, uh, Marie. I'm going to ask uh, Susan the question, how can Canada work with the U.S.? to align influenza surveillance methodologies, and uh, could you also summarize the importance of this communication? Well, there are a few current, uh, personally I have current uh, collaborations with uh, both the USDA and researchers in the United States, and it's been very important for me because not only are, are these labs established, but they often work with human influenza virus as well, and uh, the funding for human influenza virus has been much higher than for swine influenza. So what we've been able to do is take the tools developed for human influenza and start applying them towards the swine viruses so that we can actually learn more about the viruses, and that actually has been uh, a huge boost to our knowledge. The other issue is we've done a lot of uh, phylogeography, which is actually measuring the genetic movements of the virus and movement of genes 
with geographic movements of pigs. And there's so many movements of pigs across the Canadian-American border that in some areas it's just null. The, the transfer is so frequent that it's hard to distinguish. Whereas some areas, where more like in Western Canada, where more of the pigs are actually being sent out of the provinces, and there's very little movement into the provinces of pigs, we can actually measure the amount of virus being moved. And this is a technique that was developed for actually human and airline travel, and so this was really important to help us measure movement of our pig viruses with the pig movement. Um, the other thing is, is we attending meetings where we can get together with both the human, avian, and swine groups so that we can actually learn what the, the new knowledge is and new techniques. That, that has been key to finding out uh, some of the newer uh, technologies that we have that we wouldn't have had for swine 10 years ago. And that's, that's actually been quite interesting for, for myself, learning from the human influenza researchers. And it seems to be a point that uh, readily keeps coming up throughout this podcast session on the importance of collaboration. So thank you for hitting on that again, Susan. Um, Marie, I'm going to ask you the same question to comment on how can Canada work with the U.S. to align influenza surveillance methodologies and could you please summarize the importance of this communication? Yeah, well, um, communication and collaboration are key for an issue like influenza virus that really knows no boundaries and infects multiple species, um, you know, and it especially can be a zoonotic disease. So that's, that's really important to have communication, collaboration, and, and, and a, a certain degree of transparency. Certainly we respect the, the right to privacy of individuals and individual farms, um, um, but there has to be a level of sharing and, and uh, transparency um, so that we can get meaningful data. Um, again, because pigs are going over borders every day, we need to know um, what's going with the pigs um, and, and, uh, and really what could be going back in the trucks um, that carried those pigs, um, and that's a possibility as well. Certainly when, we, that when there is a lack of collaboration, I guess, there tends to be some misinformation that goes out there, like this is a brand new flu strain never seen before in the world. Um, that's a very dangerous statement to make, and, and certainly when you find something unique, you have to do um, an investigation to see, you know, what are the possible sources of new viruses for these pigs, and that's where you have to reach out to um, neighboring countries that may have shipped pigs um, into the area and, and certainly um, with the human influenza virus researchers to say, you know, what's currently circulating in humans that, that may not be published yet, um, just to get kind of that cutting edge information. So those are, those are the main reasons that I can think of. Thank you. Well, those are all the questions that I had uh, for both of you today. Um, on behalf of the Ontario Animal Health uh, Swine Network, I'd like to uh, express my gratitude to both uh, Dr. Culhane and Dr. Detmer for taking time out of their busy schedules uh, to join us for this very important podcast series on influenza A virus. So thank you very much. You're welcome. It was great to talk to you today.
Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter, too, as well as our website, owen.ca, to access the scholarly articles and links featured on the podcast. 